Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, a podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. This is Adam. This is Dean. And today we're going to give our hot take review on the game we just finished playing, Yokohama. But before we do, and before we jump into our regular poll results, you might have heard a new voice on the show tonight. That is our new co-host, Dean. We've kicked Chris out of the show. (laughs) Dean, welcome to the show. I appreciate that. I actually probably should have came in saying I was Chris, but there's no way that I can get my voice that deep to sound anything <laughs> like Chris. So yeah. That baritone sound. Well, I don't yeah. know if I ever told you guys this, but my my wife always, when I make her listen, and if we're driving in the car or something, I'm like, hey, can we listen to the latest you know episode? I want to hear the final edit on it. And we'll be listening and Chris will do the game description. And she always says like, oh man, that just, I love it when he does that. It just puts me right to sleep. His deep voice doing the rules descriptions. It's like her fit. She's like, Tim, I'm just going to start listening to your podcast when I need to go to bed at night. Oh, that's going to make you feel good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think I listen to the podcast when I want to go to sleep. At night. <laughs> anyway, so Dean is, uh, Dean's one of the hosts of the Meeple Town podcast. I guess the primary host at this point. So Dean, welcome to the show. So, so excited to have you on here. I've been a big fan of Meeple Town for several years. Started listening way back in 2019. What's going on in Meeple Town these days? Well, it's a great time to join in if you don't listen to Meeple Town because John, my co-host, uh, is gone. I kicked him off. I said, that's enough of John. We've had enough of his nonsense. It's time to move on. That isn't true. He is leaving the show. And uh, in the meantime, we're, we're going to have a new uh, co-host that's going to join. Darren is going to join me in June is the plan right now. And so I've just got guests lined up every week for the next couple months. And um, that's just that's what we're going to do. Well, I love John, but I and, and I will miss him on the show. But I'm also really excited to see what you have come in. Dean, I got a question for you, though. One of our main tenets of our show is that we just focus on games. We never no non game nonsense. It's actually in one of our taglines. How do you guys feel about non game nonsense over at Maple Town? Is it really one of your taglines? I don't know <laughs> if I've noticed that before. <laughs> I never say it, but it's like in some of our social media and stuff. But yeah, that was kind of when we were making the show, me and Adam were like, yeah, we don't want to hear about people's lives. We just want to hear about games. And so it was like intentional for us to never talk about anything <laughs> but games. <laughs> so one of our taglines, our big tagline is is sensible board game nonsense, which is that <laughs> <laughs> was John's big big thing is uh, you know having a bunch of, of banter which we have a lot of fun so sometimes it, we, we talk for about 20 minutes to kick off the episode and sometimes there's board game conversation in there sometimes it's you know I don't know skinny jeans ice cream whatever you never know what's gonna what's gonna come out of our mouths but uh, that being said some of that is gonna change and we probably will have a little less nonsense now that John's stepping out of Meeple Town for a little bit. Funny because this is probably the most non-game nonsense we've ever actually had on the show, just this little conversation about your podcast. So uh, thanks for bringing a little Meeple Town into Board Game Hot Takes. Well, I feel very honored. Another thing that you brought to Board Game Hot Takes, by the way, though, was um, I got inspired by you guys asking a poll question at the beginning of your show a lot of the times. But I made a really quick decision because you guys would ask poll questions about like, what's your favorite cereal or what do you like on your pizza? And I decided we'd just make it about board games since that's what our show is about. I appreciate the inspiration. That was always fun. What always cracked me up the most, though, about your poll questions was that John would ask them on social media and then you had never seen like you never looked at the results or anything like that. Yeah. Are you involved in the social media at all or have you been in the past? Oh, absolutely. Actually, when it comes to Twitter, I do most of the postings on Twitter. OK. But what I do is I just I, I can see that John's posted uh poll because I'll, I'll see some of the results starting to flood in and I'll just kind of avoid it for a little while because I really want to be, I really like to be surprised to the point where I don't even know what the question was. 
that's the ideal situation to be in because then I'm really, you know, shocked to, to see whatever comes up. Now that you are the, you know, the main co the, the main host here and John's not involved anymore, are you still planning to do a poll? Yeah, that's the plan. So we are, we're kind of divvying up responsibilities right now, Darren and myself. And that's why we're taking a couple months to kind of figure out the new formatting and we're shortening the, the uh, episode. Um, so we're about an hour and a half every other week, and we're going to be about 45 minutes every week. So si- pretty similar to what you guys are at. So some of the, some of the banter, some of the uh, polls and all that's going to change, but we don't have all the details on that yet. Yeah, cool. Well, I can't wait to see how that all comes together for you. Good luck getting to 45 minutes. We rarely manage to pull that out. <laughs> when we first put this show together, we're like, we'll do a half hour show every week. And I think our first episode was a half hour, and I don't think we've ever hit it after that. Well, let's jump into our poll question today. If you uh, are interested in being a part of these polls, you can find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes or on our Board Game Hot Takes Facebook group. By the way, been loving the Facebook group and the community we built up over there recently. Lots of great answers, lots of great conversation going on over there. So if you're a Facebook user, meaning you're old like us, um, go check out that Facebook group. If you're on Twitter, that's okay. You can just give us a thumb once in a while, a little heart, maybe, maybe a retweet. You don't have to say anything. Nobody on Twitter ever says anything. But you do answer our poll questions. We get a lot of responses there. Uh, the question I asked this week, are there any games that are out of print that you'd be willing to pay more than the original retail price for? And here's how people responded. Yes, money is no object was 11%. Yes, I'd pay a bit more was 61.3%. Nope was 25.2%. And these options suck was 2.5%. I had to put that last option in because usually it's Adam, but somebody complains about my options every week. So uh, now everybody should have something that they could answer and be happy about. And I didn't see a single complaint about my options this time. So I think I think that worked really well. The reason I asked this poll question is because we reviewed and played Yokohama tonight. And Yokohama is out of print right now. Uh, it was published in the in North America by TMG, by Tasty Minstrel Games. And they went out of business a couple of years ago. So I was reading the rules on this game and it looked really fun. And I was like, if I really like this game, would I spend extra money for it? So that's why I asked the question. How did you guys answer this question? Well, Tim, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm getting deja vu right now. As much as I wanted to put option D on the poll, I put option C, which was a plain old nope. Put it because I couldn't think of a game that I would currently want to track down and try to buy. If there was some game that I had played and it was long out of print and I felt so great about it, I think I would try to track it down because that sort of adventure, that kind of hunt, to find this mythical game and, oh, it's at this board game shop and wow, they don't even know what they have on their hands. I'm going to buy it and now it's in my collection. Ha <laughs> ha. That's kind of fun to me. But at the moment, I can't think of a game that I want to do that. I think there was a time where Chaos in the Old World was kind of high on my list, a grail, a so-called grail game. But then we played it and it was a good game, but there's other games that fill that niche for me that fill that chaos in the world bucket so a lot of the other eric lane games for instance blood rage and i love Ankh a ton and i get that same kind of feeling from both of those games and as much as i love chaos in the old world i think i'm i'm not going to track it down for 1.2 to 5.5 billion dollars or whatever it's currently going for on the board game market <laughs> i think it's i think some people are buying it at that price though i, I it keeps going up yeah it keeps going up apparently so i put b on this one which was the uh spending a little bit more but i was in the, kind of in the same position as you adam i don't really have a game in mind whenever i put that uh the only game that i can think of that wow i'd really love to have is is glory to rome black box edition 
but the, I'm not going to pay the prices that 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 game's fetching either. Uh, somewhere around that 1.5 billion as well. Uh-huh. I just don't think it's it's worth it. But I I try to, and I don't always do this. But the I try to follow the Tom Vassell rule, which is if a game is good, eventually it's going to come back into print, or you know, or a better edition of it, or something along those lines. And uh, so I try to do that, but I I also definitely buy some out of print games on occasion. Yeah, I answered the same way, Dean. Um as in most cases I agree pretty you know pretty closely with you on your game taste as well as your game collection concepts. Well maybe not so much there, but <laughs> I, I think I would pay a bit more for a game that I really liked, but not a huge amount. There's just so many games out that if there's a game that's just out of print and not available, why not buy a couple other games that are also going to be fun. I won't spoil my thoughts on Yokohama. I will spoil my thoughts on Yokohama. <laughs> I may be out searching for this game if, it, if I can find it for not too expensive in the near future, even if it's a little overpriced. But I think you're right about the, the idea that if a game is great, it is going to be republished. So, Tim, are there any other games you have in mind when you answer this? Any other games you're looking at that are out of print? No, not at all. No. Uh, I mean, I honestly, I probably would have just said nope if, if, it, if I hadn't just run across a game that I was interested that was out of print. Like, I think I paid a little bit extra for Rising Sun just because we really want to play that in our trilogy series and it, I couldn't find it anywhere locally so I had somebody ship it for me you know from like out of state so that cost me a little bit more than it would have but no I don't think so I'm going to speak to a, to one of the comments that, that Dean made here with one of the comments one of our listeners left Jonathan Terrington said nope I have limits on how much I would spend to get an out of print game I would rather print and play that than spend a fortune and the black box version of Glory to Rome, apparently you can just print that up. I mean, it's a, it's a card game, so you can just go and print that if you want it right now. So, uh, you know, and that's one where like, you know, doing a print and play of a game that isn't authorized to do that normally, like that's problematic. But in this case, the publisher, the designer has said, no, we're never going to touch this game again. We don't want to have anything to do with it. And I think they've even kind of like semi put their stamp on saying, sure, go ahead and do it. So that's a game where if you really want to play the game, then just print it up, throw it in some sleeves, and you got that experience. Mike McGowan on our Twitter feed said, I've easily paid double a few times. I way overpaid for a Korean copy of Modern Art. I snapped up an overpriced deluxe copy of Yokohama after TMG went under. After seeing what Queen is doing to his games, we filled a few holes in our Feld collection while we can. I don't blame you for that choice. Spend a little bit extra for a previous version is not a bad idea there. Graham said, no, I don't think so. There are so many great games in print for me to choose from that I don't feel I need to track down anything out of print. When I stop being tempted by a dozen different games every time I go into my FLGS, this may be this may change. And then Ray Meyer said, it really comes down to supply and demand. I will pay extra if I really want the game. Funny thing I've noticed, lots of people complain about paying more, but I haven't found one person among them that doesn't sell their own games at these higher prices. So apparently people do understand <laughs> how it works. Busted. All right, let's jump into a rules description for Yokohama. It's the midst of the Meiji era, and significant cultural and industrial changes are occurring rapidly. The first railway is opened between Tokyo and our title city, Yokohama. As the dawn of the 20th century approaches, technological advancements are increasing production across all industries, creating demand for a larger workforce who in turn discover more technological advancements and the cycle repeats. In this game, players take the role of a merchant during this period of growth and will attempt to gain the most fame, aka victory points, by the end of the game. There are multiple paths to do this, including constructing buildings, completing contracts, importing the most, and having the most influence in the church. 
To start off the game, players first construct the city of Yokohama from a selection of location cards. These are organized in four layers, pyramid style. So, in a four-player game, there are six cards in the bottom row and three in the top row, creating 18 total locations, each with varying resources or benefits. To travel to these each turn, players place up to three cubes on cards they might want their president to visit. At the end of the president's movement, the cubes, or assistants as they're called in the game, are returned to the player's supply in exchange for the resources provided at that location. Crucially, the president is only allowed to move through locations which contain their assistance. Players must plan their president movement and assistant placement carefully to collect benefits, fulfill contracts, gain tech, and ultimately gain points. And that's the gist of the game. My usual caveat applies. I've left tons of nuance out of this description. This will hopefully keep you afloat during our conversation. Yokohama was designed by Hisashi Hayashi and originally published by Tasty Minstrel Games in 2016. Okay, welcome back. So let's jump into the gameplay and mechanisms of Yokohama. But before we do, I just want to touch base really quickly on our experience with this game. Now, for me and Adam, this was our first play tonight. We both played on Board Game Arena after learning the rules from Paul Grogan's Gaming Rules video. Dean, what was your experience with Yokohama? So I played this several years ago. We reviewed this uh, around the time, if I remember right, we uh, I had I had kickstarted the Yokohama Duel, the two player only version of Yokohama, and then you could also back the uh, the deluxe version of main Yokohama. So we played both of those whenever that came out. So probably two, three years ago, something. So Dean had a little bit of experience here, which might have led to the results of game night tonight. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Let's just, let's just talk about the gameplay mechanisms. What, what really stood out to you guys? So what bounced out to me first was the way this whole board game is set up. You have these cards, which are different locations in the town of Yokohama, Japan. And there's like the laboratory and then the the port and the dock and the warehouse and all these different cards. And you kind of stagger these things in grid fashion. Like if you're making a brick wall, you kind of stack them up like bricks. And that's the way that your, your president, your main token, your main worker is going to move around this city. So that was a totally unique setup for me. That kind of determines, you know, the route building and the way you're going to navigate this city just that whole setup portion of the game was something totally unique to me and something that's going to establish the foundation for how you're going to navigate and explore this game. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's such a unique experience. I think the closest thing I mentioned while we were playing this, but I think the closest experience that I have with that kind of route building that you're talking about comes from Istanbul, where you're kind of setting up your workers and, and going around. But even that feels so it feels so different than anything else that I've played before. But the thing I that it shares in common with it the most is that race feeling, this feeling like I really need to get to this location before somebody else does. I need to, I need to be able to get influence in the church or I need to be able to get this specific technology or fill this certain order. And you always feel like, Really, I always feel like I'm kind of one step behind somebody. Even if you're ahead in the game, you might feel like, wow, I, I need these resources, but Tim's got all these resources over here. Why can't I have those? And there's this tension that you feel because you're trying to race around the board to get all these different 
uh, to get to the different locations and make sure you have enough influence uh, with your assistance on those locations. The thing that stood out to me here was the game has a modular setup, right? So it's it's going to be a unique layout every time. But the things you're doing, you know, collecting resources and filling action or filling orders is not going to feel super unique anytime you play it. Um, so I like it when a game like this that has kind of a, a consistent objective gives you some variety. And in this game, it does that by giving you this set of technology cards. I think they're called technology cards, but there's a couple locations you can go to to basically pick up technology cards in the game that from the ones that I saw in this game were were vastly different. Like every single one of them was, a, you know, was a, a unique effect and the cost was different on them. Basically, like all of the spaces in this in this game, when you go to it, you're going to get a benefit equal to the power, like the influence you have in there. It's going to be based on your cubes you placed in there. I'm sure there's a better terminology for for that, but I'm going to call them cubes. And then your president meeple, your little like pawn that you put in there. In the case where you're buying the technology, there are these represented by these gears. So the more pawns and, and cubes you put in there, then the, the better technology you can purchase from these spaces. And that was really fun. It, it created kind of unique special abilities right from the start of the game that are going to change every game. They're going to switch up. I love when a game that is generally kind of static, the starting setup is going to be the same. But beyond that, the type of stuff you're doing is going to going to not change a whole lot. But these technologies gave you something unique to go after. I thought that was fun. Completely botched buying ones that were useful. I didn't actually get much value out of them at all. But I'm excited to try the next time. And uh, I like when a game gives you some variety like that. Yeah, to contrast, I think this game is very dynamic. Tim, I don't know if you're th- saying this game is is kind of static. To me, it was just dynamic the whole way through. So you're touching on these, these cubes, these assistants. So that ties into both the economy and the route that your president can take as it's moving around this modular board, which is also going to be dynamic from game to game to game. So you're putting these cubes out. That's the trail that your president can take once he's on the board. But those assistants also add to the economy. If your president lands on a space, if you have three assistants there, you can take the four power place in that location, giving you more benefits. So that whole interplay between the assistants and what they gave you, and that also provides the route of travel was just an interesting, fascinating, crazy puzzle to me, again, that I don't think I've seen anything else quite like it. I totally agree with that. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the, the interaction between your president with your assistants, but the player interaction with each other that happens on the board is is so interesting too, because it's not it's not a main game at all. What happens in this game is you end up tripping each other up. So if my president is in a location and you want to go to that location to take the action on your turn, well, you're not able to do that. And in fact, if you want to just even move through my space where my president is or place one of your assistants in that spot, you're going to have to pay me a, a yen to be able to do that. And money can be very tight in this game. And so that that interaction, like I said, it's not the, this direct conflict and, and mean game by any stretch, but there is a ton of player interaction in how all of your presidents and, and assistants are moving around on the board. Yeah, this is the right kind of player interactions, accidental player interaction. It, it creates an, an interesting puzzle every turn that you might have to work around, but nobody can pick on me. And I like that. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit about the end game goals here, which I thought were also really fun. Um, there's a couple different things. One, you're filling orders over the course of the game, but on those orders, there are different flags. And so there's a little bit of like a set collection. If you fill a variety of different 
orders, you're going to get more points for having bigger sets. But then there's also a couple locations you can go to to basically turn in things like you can turn in these crates for points at one of the locations, or you can go to another location and turn in goods to get points on the church track. And so those are going to give you some in-game points, but then there's also a majority bonus for those things. There's also a majority bonus for having um, the the most technology or the most powerful technology in the games. So there's a lot of there's a good variety of end-game goals that you're going for, which is going to change game to game. Adam, you asked me, did I say the game was static? The game setup is going to change every time. It's going to feel like a different game every time you play it, but the gameplay internally can be static and i'm going to compare this to another game that i love and that's gaia project and adam's shaking this and no just hear me out hear me out for a second what i'm saying here it's not a bad thing it's that there are some games that give you variety throughout the game that you have to respond to they're tactical right this game doesn't really give you things you're responding to uh, or or wouldn't without that technology that i was talking about other than the orders right so there's going to be different orders you pick up so it might change the direction you want to go to and gaia project's a great example right you could basically script out your entire game, except there is the fun of the interactions with other people around. And Yokohama does the same thing. Like once the, the game is set up, other than the order cards and the technologies, you could script out exactly where you want to go the first turn, where you want to go the second turn. Well, Adam, you couldn't. I see you're shaking your head. You couldn't do it because you can't plan that far ahead. But I'm telling you that somebody could if <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to talk. I, I, I want to jump in. Shut up, Tim. Let me <laughs> go, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. You're saying, okay, the, <laughs> you're wrong. You're so wrong. The most orders you can have at any time is three. How often are you going to have three? But those orders kind of determine the route you're going to take. If you have one, two orders, then you're trying to figure out how can I go on this route to collect all this stuff to fulfill these orders? At least that's one path to go down during this game. And you're not going to know that. What do you get? One order at the beginning of the game. You have to pick up more as you're going around. So unlike Gaia Project, where first round, you want this goal. Second round, you want this goal. Third round, you want this goal. This game gives you dynamic goals again. You don't know what you're going to go for three, four rounds from now. It's going to change. It's going to change based on those order cards, based on where other people's presidents are, blocking you off of this, blocking you off of that. Oh, shoot. What am I going to have to do now? I guess I'll go over here and work on this thing because this game changes so much do you do you guys like order fulfillment do you feel like a game that just gives you um you know order cards and you have to go collect resources is that fun for you <laughs> so the answer is yes i i guess it you know kind of depends on the game i do like order fulfillment but the cool thing about this game is uh, order fulfillment obviously is a huge part of this game because you're going around you're collecting all these different resources and often that's what you're going to be using them for is completing those orders but there are so many other ways to score points in this game that I, it's not the only part of the game, which I, I kind of need that in a lot of my order fulfillment games. I'd, I'd like to have extra things to do outside of just like collect resources and fulfill this order. But okay, I got to go back just a second though. Please go back. I want, I really want to agree with what, Adam has to say, but I think both of you are probably right in Don't this. Don't do that. I think Pick there's a, side, a little. Dean. Pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a little bit of both, right? You have you have your goals that you set in mind, but because of what Adam's saying is, you're tripping each other up, and you cannot always just like do the thing that you want to do. And I I think you have to have a few things in mind, like okay, I want to fulfill this order. But I know down the road, I also would like to gain some influence in the church. So I better just drop off one of my one of my assistants in the church, even though it's not going to help me now. Somewhere down the road, it will. 
especially if there's a moment where I'm blocked off from being able to get this resource that I really need. I'm ne- I'm going to then need to, okay, I'm going to drop back and punt and I'm going to go in this direction, but I've already set myself up for that. And I think that's really, you know, I'm going to pull the winner card here for a second, but I think that, I think that ends up being a big difference between doing well and not well in this game is you've, you've got backup plans. You've got things in your back pocket that you can do, even if the thing that you want to do right now doesn't quite come to fruition. Yeah. The order fulfillment here I thought was, was fantastic. Normally order fulfillment can be bland, but the way this game does it is fantastic. So again, Dean's right. It depends on how the game implements the order fulfillment here. It gives you a bit of direction and hey, I can get this along the way that I'm going to do this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. And oh, look at this. Now I can fulfill this. It's going to give me some crates and some points and some coins. That's going to let me do this as well. So it's, a again, a very interesting order fulfillment system here rather than just have, oh, I got three of these color cubes and two of these color cubes. Now I can turn this in and get five points. It's There's a lot more going on with this type of order fulfillment, I feel. Tim. I know you're not a big fan of order fulfillment, but answer your own question. How do you feel about it in this game? That's why I asked the question, because generally I'm not. Like if it's as simple as like a card just says, go and collect resources and that's the thing I have to do, I wouldn't enjoy it very much. I think why it worked pretty well for me here is because sometimes I was accidentally collecting those resources. I just needed a place. Stop shaking your head, Adam, man. What? what you can't agree with me once tonight? Everything's no, accidental listen, for you in listen, this game. All I'm saying <laughs> is that sometimes, maybe everything just felt accidental to me because I wasn't very good at it. But sometimes I would just be like, okay, I'm going to place an assistant there so I can make sure that I can get to another space with my president, right? And so what that meant was that sometimes I was already setting myself up to collect resources that I maybe didn't even know about an earlier turn. And so it, it did feel like sometimes I got an order and I was like, great, I'm already two cubes on my way to get, getting the four things that I need there because I was already placing them. That makes me more motivated to pick up that card that is in the order row right now. And so it was more fun. It was a little more dynamic. I also want to go back to what I was saying about the game being static because I I misspoke there, right? It's not static. There's a lot of things that are changing what you're doing. It's not just the orders. What I was trying to say about the technologies is that the mechanisms are going to change every game because of those goals that you have are going to be unique depending on the orders that come up and the orders that the tiles are placed and things like that. But the general actions you're going to do are going to stay the same. What I love about those technology cards is that every game, it is going to feel like maybe you have some extra superpower, something that doesn't happen in a game like Gaia Project. So I was really not trying to put the game down by saying that. I was just trying to say that it adds a little extra flair that I really enjoy in a game like this for it. Um, yeah, so that's that's all. I, I think that we're all on the same page that the game gives you plenty of variety, plenty of things to try to work around, including that tactical puzzle that I love. But it it does it in a variety of ways. And the way that people would get in your way was shocking to me here because I didn't expect it, right? There's like, I don't know, in a four-player game, what, like 15 tiles out on the board. There's only four presidents out there. But somehow, every single time I really set myself up to take a turn, Dean got in there and took that turn before I could. And like, like got on that space before I could, and I couldn't even use it. Uh, so it did surprise me by how interactive it was, even when it wasn't intentional. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I can see your point there, Tim. I'll concede some of the points that you're saying are legitimate. I want to go back to, I think I emphasized it already, but sometimes having one cube, one assistant out there was advantageous. So I found myself doing that later on in the game or thinking about doing it. I probably didn't do anything well in this game. But uh, having one assistant, if you had enough assistance, man, everything was tight in this game. Economy, assistance, getting resources, everything was different. Anyway, you mentioned it, Tim, having one 
assistant in each of these locations gives your president that freedom to kind of move around. And maybe that's going to be a resource or two or three when you add assistance, assistance later in the game to come back and grab those. I thought that was a nice touch for the network building, right? Or route building. So I just want to emphasize that. I don't know if I've already said that 500 times earlier, but that was a nice nuance. I feel like there's a lot of nuances, most of which um, didn't dawn on me. And I'll be thinking about here as I reflect on this first play. And I think that's a good sign of a, of a good game. You know, you play through that first time and you're like, Oh, I really could have done some things a lot better in this. You know, a good example of that is you can unlock something around 12 more assistants in the game. And if you can unlock all of those, which I don't know if I've done that before, maybe I have, I've unlocked quite a few of them. It opens up so many more options of of actions that you can take on the board and and I I think that's really helpful because again if you keep your options open if there's lots of different things that you can do well then you're not necessarily going to get blocked out you might get blocked out of a spot that you really wanted to take but you you know plan B plan C they're also not too bad of options but the fact that you're thinking about it and you will you know tomorrow you'll be thinking about oh, I really wish I would have done this I, I for me, that's a good sign of, of yeah. something that's that's worth pursuing. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. All right. Well, let's talk about the theme and production on Yokohama. I'll just start with the production here. It looks really cool. It's like these big, chunky, huge tiles that you're laying out to establish the buildings you've got here. Great Euro production. Interesting enough theme. My one thought on it is that the artwork on these big tiles gives you some, it gives you a little bit of theme, right? It adds like you're going to locations, but it also is a, just a very busy, set of components and board on a first play it was a little hard to just track everything that was going on and 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 you know just like i don't know like i wonder if this will get dean you tell us would this get a little bit easier over multiple plays where it starts to feel easier to process all the information that's out there or is that something that's always a challenge yeah sure no i I definitely think that is the case when you when you first introduce this game to somebody the reactions that I've had have not been positive. Not that it's not beautiful. I think the production is, is, you know, impressive, very impressive, especially the, the deluxe version of this game, all the chunky bits and screen printed and metal coins and all that good stuff. But exactly what you're saying, it is so busy looking that the, the eye rolls and the groans when people see this game for the first time, it's, it's it's prevalent for sure. The positive thing is once you've played a couple rounds even of this game, everything starts to click and you're like, oh, okay, it's actually not as bad as what I thought it was going to be. And then, you know, subsequent plays, it's it's even going to get better and better. So I, it, it absolutely gets better. But that first glance is is always a shocker for people. Theme here I thought was at first I was like, what? It's Yokohama a little. And then I read a little about it. It was one of the center of trade back in the day. But the sense I got here was like going to one of those, like a farmer's market or one of these busy markets in the center of a city where you have all these little vendors set up next to each other and you got the the spice guy and the fish guy and the flip-flop guy. And the, you have all these things crammed in really close to one another and you walk 10 yards this way and it's this other market with a whole different variety of things. And I think that's kind of perfect. You have all of these different vendors in this tight little area. It's busy and it's confusing. It can be overwhelming. But once you do a couple laps, a couple circuits, oh, you start to realize, oh, I know what's coming up over here. Here's the, this is the fish guys where I get my, oh, this is the green tea person. This is where I'm going to get all my tea from. So 
once I started looking at it from that perspective, it felt really neat. And it kind of reminded me of some of these tightly packed little city markets that I've been to. And I thought that was a, a pretty cool feeling. Okay. Are the buildings, like the buildings and the trading centers or whatever they're called, are those all cardboard or they wood? Actually, yeah. I would need to look at pictures, but I think I think you're right. I think they are cardboard and not wood. In the in the base game, but not the deluxe version. That's right. It, well, okay. Not only that, but even the resources. Now I'm looking at a picture. So the resources are all cardboard chits instead of the, the um, custom wooden meeples resources. So all of that is all of that is cardboard cardboard which that being said, I don't know if I would want I'll retract my statement from before the game saying that the regular version of this would be fine. I actually think it might be a nightmare <laughs> and this is from no experience with it, but all of those cardboard chits on an already very busy board I think would be way too much to keep up with. That's from no experience, by the way. That's just my, my hunch. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, I looked at, you know, we watched the how to play video on this and then also played it on Board Game Arena where I felt like it was, you know, grokkable. The reason I asked that, I mean, I, I think that brings us back to the original topic is um, this game is out of print. And so you can't get it at all right now. And if it does come back in print, will a deluxe version be available? Or That's a shame for a game where at one point there was a beautiful production on it and Let's turn to the final question of every show, and that is, would you request to play this game again? Yes, I would request to play this game again. Dean touched on it. I'll be thinking about this one. I'm going to be thinking about all the dumb things I did, how I dug myself into a pit early on and spent the rest of the game trying to dig myself out. There's so many things to explore in this game. I want to go back and unlock all of those little things from my warehouse, get all these other assistants and buildings and giant buildings and put those all out on the board. There was just a lot to discover here and a lot that I, on a first play, even after watching a rules video that I, I didn't quite get. My little small brain can't quite understand all this stuff until actually going through the motions and see, oh, that's what this actually does. Oh, this is, this is what this means when I can unlock these things and get some more. That's why this is important. Okay, okay. And you start understanding all these different things and denail it. That's a great sign of a game when it keeps you thinking about these things and you start realizing more and more options that you can do on subsequent play. So for me, as an easy yes, I would love to play this game again. Yeah, for me, I I I have <laughs> if you know, I I can say that I have had people request this game and I have I have requested to play it with other people for sure. And it's one of those games I don't know if I've introduced this to anybody that has not liked it. You know, they might not love it as much as I do, but I for the most part, I think people really enjoy their plays of this. I would take it a step further, and this is kind of going down a different path, and I know you're not asking this yet, but I have the I mentioned the the dual version, the, the two-player only version of this game. Once somebody knows the game, I would request dual over the main game for a two-player experience. And really that's because you get a lot of the same feels. You're not moving around the board in the same way. You're actually just playing a card with a power. Um, onto these different locations, but all the locations, everything else kind of plays out the same way, but it plays so much faster. There's not a lot of the AP that you get from trying to figure out where you're going to put your assistance. So I like the quickness of that and still kind of the same feel. That's awesome. That's, that's cool to hear. Do you, is the dual version also, is that published by TMG? So is that out of print as well? It was. So I'm assuming that it is. Okay. Uh, that's out of print. Interesting. Well, I would definitely request, and I will request to play this game again. And, you know, we're lucky this is on Board Game Arena, so we'll get a chance to play it many, many more times and probably in the coming days. I uh, can't wait to. I think this was a super fun experience. 
I think the modularity of the board is going to change how the game feels a little bit every time. I think the the varied end game goals is going to change. But I just thought even within the game, you're just going to be led down different paths, sometimes by what people are blocking from you, sometimes because the orders you happen to pick up are going to give you crates and crates can be turned into points. But if you don't happen to get those types of orders, maybe that's not a useful path for you. So you're going to go, you're going to go to the church or you're going to just try to fill more orders. I think the technology is going to give you different paths. I just think that this game is just going to feel like a fun puzzle to try to to try to crack every single time you play it i can't wait to play this some more uh, you know i asked the game the question at the beginning of the episode about buying out of print games and to be honest this is the first game even before playing it that ever even made me think about that question because i saw how it played and i said this is a game for me and that's how i feel after playing it as well this is a game i cannot wait to play again i really hope somebody picks this up in the u.s and and publishes it again i think it will probably happen because it's just too good to not exist out in you know out out in the world for people to experience but uh yeah can't wait to check this one out would love to play it physically on a table at some point i think it'll make it an even more fun experience can't wait to get to the point where i can actually understand and like all the iconography and all the the visuals on the board um at a glance i think it'll make it go even more even smoother so yes yokohama big hit for me well, that will wrap up our conversation on Yokohama. We will talk about a couple of games that have been on our table and a future take right after this. All right, welcome back. Adam, what have you had on your table recently? Wine and Murder? Does that count? I don't know if that counts. Is this a game or is this a... <laughs> I murdered somebody the other night. It was awesome. <laughs> so I played along with seven other people. I, where did I find seven people that I know that came over and played a game in real life? I don't know. We played a game called Wine and Murder. And this was kind of a, a little bit of a role-playing game. It's not necessarily... I don't know. It's board game adjacent, we'll say. But... It was a blast. We all assumed different roles. This is a game where there's a scenario, right? Everybody comes over. In this case, we were at a vineyard, right? And there was a small earthquake or somebody bumped something and floorboards fell out. Oh, there's a dead guy underneath the floor. How did this happen? And the mystery unfolds. And I'd never done any kind of game like this, but it was pretty neat. We all got dressed up. There's pictures on Twitter. I look like a, a total goofball with this fake mustache. And Sarah's all dressed up in this beautiful dress she's a former hollywood i don't know what they call it like a not a diva i don't think that's the right word but whatever we all had these different roles it was it was pretty scripted and then there was a it was app assisted or you know website assisted and there's kind of a narrator after the three phases that gives a little recap of what happens each round but it was kind of neat there's these little clues that come out and there's little prompts that say, after Papa Vito says this, make sure you mention this. And it gives you a little spiel and kind of guides you in a little prompt to bring up certain things. Or maybe it's going to tell you, produce this clue and check it out. It's a, uh, it's a fake ID and this person is not really who he's saying he is. So it was fun. It dropped some hints early on in the writing. There's some a little bit of foreshadowing, this and that. And if you're paying attention, you can kind of deduce and put the pieces together for who the actual murderer is by the end of the game so i had a lot of fun playing this it was more of a social experience hang out get to party with some friends drink some wine get dressed up 
but also a good area for uh, some board game recruitment purposes some future board game groups maybe coming out of this. A good way to get together, have a fun time, and slowly sneak into the, the board game realm. Had a lot of fun playing, I think it was called Wine and Murder. You guys ever done anything like this? I want to. Uh, in fact, I was I was looking it up on, it's not on Board Game Geek, and so I just Googled Wine and Murder, which is what kind of results <laughs> you get. It's a horrifying place. But it looks like they have uh, maybe a series of, yes. of different games in this, in this realm. That, I'm, that's actually really cool. I'm guessing you said it's kind of that party atmosphere. You probably need to have a higher player count for this. This one was uh, six minimum, and then it had two additional spots that were. I was in. The, I was one of the additional spots. I was like this, uh, this kind of washed up FBI agent, unkempt with beer stains all over his suit. And I don't know why anybody would make me that person. I think it needs six <laughs> for this particular game, but it can go up to eight. And the other, you know, myself and one other character were just kind of there to to rile, stir the pot and rile things up, point certain things out, have people um, try to get people to act out, you know, well, well, you say you've never done this, but can you do this? Or you're afraid of small spaces. Well, let's go walk down this, this skinny hallway and see how you react. A fun time overall, for sure. Adam, did you feel like, is this one of these things you would call a game or is it an activity? Like, you know, is there meaningful decisions? Is, are you gaming anything or is it kind of just like let on rails and you're just having a fun time. You're just there to experience it. It was about 95% on rails and then about a 5%. Hey, what can I deduce anything from the clues from the story mm-hmm. that they've given me so far? And I think there was just enough. If you're paying attention, you could kind of put it together. So yeah, I'd say about 95 and five, very little game. I've done a, I've done a couple of those actually. One um, years and years ago, like when I was still living with my family, this was probably 25, 30 years ago, they had bought a copy of this and they put together a little dinner party. And I think, you know, some of the older kids got to be involved. And that's what it felt like. It felt like the similar type of experience where, you know, you got to role play a little bit, but basically you were kind of told what was going to happen. And eventually, so, you know, yeah. the thing's going to be discovered. And we also did, uh, I went to one, it was like a gangster murder mystery party at like, a, it was like a Halloween night event somewhere where it was, you know, hosted by somebody, same type of thing. Um, but those are the, right, they, they have to, you have to have a conclusion. So they're going to, someone's going to solve it. It's going to be solved in the end. And ultimately it's more of a theater thing than it is a game, but it sounds like fun. Dean, what have you been playing lately? All right, so the game I want to talk about is a is the new hotness, I guess. Um, this one is actually not available yet. It's going to go to Kickstarter next month. I think the target date is off my memory. I think it's April 17th. And this is the new Matthew Dunstan and Jeffrey Allers game, Pioneer Rails, a flip and write game by Dronda Games. And it's a Wild West theme where it's uh, a poker style game, I guess. So you're going to flip over three cards from a deck of cards that is 10 through ace in the four different suits. Okay, you flip over three cards and let's say all three of us are playing one player. And let's say Tim is the first player. Tim's going to take one of those cards and he's going to write down the number in his hand. Okay. So you're going to have a hand of five at the end of each round. You're going to play through four rounds and whoever has the most points is going to win. But in each round, you're trying to get the best poker hand that you can and you're going to get points based on that poker hand. Okay, but you're only writing down the number. You're actually you're not writing down the suit that matches that with your poker hand. So the best you can get is like a four 
uh, um, four of a kind and you're not going to get like a, a, a straight flush because the, you know, you don't have the suits listed in there. Why the suits matter is you're going to use that suit to draw a route, a train route out from a station matching that suit. So you have four stations on your hexagonal map. If you draw a heart card, then you're going to draw out three lines from that heart station and you're going to be making different routes around the map. And the cool thing is, is as you're drawing those lines out on the map, you're going to be unlocking different um, different locations on the map. So like, let's say I want to go mine some gold. Well, it says that I need to have one line on that's adjacent to that hexagon that's the gold mine. And when I do that, when I put one line on there, then I'll get a gold. And then later on, let's say I've got three gold. Later on, I might draw, I might have to draw three lines that are adjacent to the bank, and then I can trade in those gold for victory points. And so there's lots of different ways that those hexes are are unlocking different things. So you unlock cattle, and the more cattle you get, the more points you're going to get. The more saloons you get, it's going to double the score of what you have in your poker hand at the end of the round, which a lot of that, I realized, as I said, I wanted to talk about this game, how difficult it was going to be to explain how to play this game, because you really do need to see the board. (laughs) But the game itself is super simple. I really enjoy the drafting part of it. There's some player interaction. There's some hate drafting there where I might take the card that uh, that that you all want to get. But once the first player takes their card, then everybody else gets to choose from whatever those other two are out there. And then, you know, when you're the first player, the next time you get to take the card and all that good stuff. And that's it. It's, it is a very simple game, even though you probably have no idea how to play this game after that super simple explanation. Once you see the board and play it, it all just clicks. And it's just a really fun. Uh, Matthew Dunstan is a favorite designer of mine. I really love the games that he designs. And this one's no exception. It just really kind of hits in that sweet spot for what I want in a roll and write or a flip and write game. What else has Matthew Dunstan designed? The Chocolate Factory. So, um, There's, he's done a bunch of good games. The one that's like all hot, that looks bland. That, uh, Shut up and sit down. Did that. Guild of Merchants Explorers, I think is what you're talking about. Guild of Merchant Explorers. That's exactly it. Yeah. Next Station London, which is one that's on BGA. Is, is a big one. Elysium was one of his first ones that he did that was a really big hit. So he's done a lot of uh, a lot of games for sure. Let, let me ask you a question because here's the question about rolling rights for me, right? Do you feel like the game is going to have variety? Every time you play it, is it going to feel like you're kind of doing the same things or do you feel like there's something in the game, some element in the game is going to make you make different decisions? No. Now, the interesting thing, I explained one map. There's actually the game, when it kickstarts, it's going to come, the base game is going to come with two maps. And that's all I know at that point. But the variety in this one is going to come in those different maps because it's not only changing the setup, but it also changes the the way the game plays. So in the other side of the map, you you have this these green trees and it, it looks different, but also you're collecting bandits and you have to have jail cells for your bandits to go into. But the more bandits that you collect, you're going to get more victory points. So I, the variety really comes with the player interaction and how those cards are drafted, but more so, and I think this is the key part, is the different maps that are going to come out with it. And I'm not, I'm not sure if the Kickstarter is going to have more than two maps. It's possible that some things might be unlocked, but I think for the game to have a ton of legs, you know, to last a really long time, I think you're going to have to have those expansion maps. Fact is, you're playing with poker hands, and that's what's most exciting to me. Yeah, I know yeah. a couple other games have done this. I think Western Legends uh, allowed you to like use poker hands for something, but uh, I love the idea, and I think. 
I think there's an opportunity to use this more, uh, you know, to, to use those classic poker hands and into some kind of gameplay mechanism. So it's really cool. They pulled off here. Jeffrey Allers, by the way, which was the co-designer on this has, has been a longtime follower of ours on Twitter. I don't know if he listens to the show, but, uh, I'll, I'll be excited to share this, uh, and call him out on Twitter when we talk about the, the show. I'm sure he does not listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Dean, how does this rank in your, uh, in your roll and write pantheon, like would you favor it? Would you call it kind of middle of the road? Is it something that's going to, it's going to be forgotten? And you- no, I don't think it's going to be a forgotten one. I, I'm actually on this really big roll and write flip and write kick. Um, and I'm going to be uh, Keith Law is one of the, one of the hosts that's going to be one of the guests that's going to be on the show coming up and we're going to be doing a top five roll and write flip and write games. And I haven't made my list yet. We haven't recorded yet. Uh, I, this wouldn't be a top five for me for sure, which will be what that list is, but it is on the, it's on the higher list of ones that I really want to play right now. And I think that's a good sign, right? So I've played it, I think probably four, four times right now. And I want to keep playing. I want to keep exploring it. So I, I think that's a sign of a good game. Pioneer Rails. I enjoy it. Tim, you said a lot of roll and rights give you that kind of repetitive feel. Are there any that stand out as giving you that variety that you want? Hadrian's Wall, or are there any others that, that give you that variety? That's interesting you mentioned Hadrian's Wall, and Dean's nodding his head like that. What, that one does give you variety, and I like Hadrian's Wall quite a, quite a bit, but I think that's actually one of my complaints about Hadrian's Wall, is that I start to feel like, for me, that once I feel like I've got a path that works, and you're going to get variety, right, based on what, um, what meeples you're going to draft in that game, for example, but I do start to feel like I'm just going to ignore sections of the board. I know there's different things you can do, but you can kind of ignore certain sections. Like there's nothing that's going to kind of push you into uh, to do like the arena, the gladiator thing necessarily. Right. Because like that when I played it, um, it always feels like, hey, that's a little bit more complicated. I'm not sure if it's going to pay off. So I'll just go to- towards these other paths. And so Hadrian's Wall feels like it gets a little bit on the rails for me. You know, I want to build walls to protect myself. I want to uh, do, you know, production stuff. I'm going to do the arts thing. I forget all the names of this stuff, but but it's a fun game for me. And I'll, I will like, go back to it. But if I played a couple times in a row, it starts to feel like it's on the rails. And I felt that about a number of other roll and rights. But I'm glad you asked that, Adam, because the game I'm going to talk about that's been on my table is also a roll and write. And this is a game called Motor City by Motor City Gameworks and 25th Century Games. This was designed by Adam Hill, Ben Pinchback, and Matt Riddle. And I got a chance to play this. This was actually a Kickstarter I backed. It just got uh, sent out to backers over the last month or so. And um, I got excited about this game because I'd always heard about this great heavy roll and write game, Fleet the Dice Game. And then, and, and I'd never played, never played, I never got a chance to play it. And then they released a game a year or two ago called Three Sisters, which also looked fun. But with both those games, it looked like a bunch of check mark, check boxes on sheets. Now, I haven't played either of them. I've, I've heard great things about them, and I'm sure there's something exciting going on there. But when I look at sheets that are just check boxes, and I'm just like, nothing, I don't know, That's it seems, it seems dull, right? I'm sure they're fun. It seems dull. But they released this new game, uh, put it up on Kickstarter last year, called Motor City, and it's about basically... Um, you know, running an automotive manufacturing plant in Detroit in the 1960s. And it starts out with this cover of this game, which is a striking like 1960s muscle car on the, on the, you know, out on the box cover. And it just drew me in. I was like, this is an interesting theme. And the sheets of paper, it's two separate sheets of paper are 
a variety of different what look like mini puzzles. There are these different regions of the board, and there is nothing that looks like checkboxes there. It is, it, it's like racetracks. It's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's like manufacturing, uh, you know, plant kind of like production lines. Um, so it just looked really visually striking and more exciting than their other games had. So I think I was like, this is the one I've got to try. Uh, picked it up, you know, got it home, opened it up, read the rules, and thought this is going to be on the rails. It's gonna, it's gonna feel like I'm going to do the same thing every time. But I finally got a chance to play it, and I was so wrong. Uh, this game, I think, is going to lead to really, really interesting decisions every time you play it, for a couple of reasons. First of all, as I mentioned, there's like basically four regions of the board. There's a test track. At the start of each game, you're going to pick one of these three test tracks that you're, you're going to put a car on and you can start with it. So that's a choice you get to make at the start of the game. Uh, the test tracks are a variety of different shapes. And as you move up these around these test tracks, you're going to get different bonuses on them. Uh, how do you move? I'll get to that in a minute. But then there's another region, which is like a manufacturing plant with a bunch of different production lines. And this is kind of a, a, a you know, a, a pa- different paths you can go down. You're going to make different choices about where you're going on this thing. Um, and then there's another one, which is an engineering track, and it's a few different tracks, and you're going to pick a, a one engineering track you can start with at the beginning of the game. So that's going to vary every game. And then the last one is a car dealership. This is where you're going to sell, basically where you're going to make your money. So the way this game works, it's a dice drafting game. In the middle, everyone's going to have a shared area where you're going to roll a number of dice. In a two-player game, which is how I played it, you would roll two white dice, two gray dice, and a blue dice, or something like that. Um, and then the dice are uh, custom dice and they each have different symbols on them. The symbols represent the different types of actions you can take. So you roll these dice, you put them out on this board uh, with the color. Each color has a different row and then each symbol has a different column. And so you basically place these dice out on this board. Uh, And what you do with these dice is you're going to draft them. You're going to pick up a dice off the board and under each of those spaces on this board has a unique bonus. So first you get the bonus that's printed there. Maybe it's a couple dollars. Maybe it's movement on an extra track or something like that. Then you get the benefit of the column that it's in. So it's the action that that thing does. And so then you get to basically take that action on your board. And that action is going to represent one of the four regions of the board. You're going to mark it off. And then you place that dice on one of the four action spaces at the top right of the board, which blocks it out for that turn. So you only get to do that action once. So you're basically getting two to three things happening every time you take a turn. So that's exciting. A lot of fun things that are happening. Bonuses. As you're moving up all these different tracks on the board, you're going to get bonuses that trigger. That's all exciting and fun. Here's where this game really stands out to me, because this feels a lot like a lot of roll and write so far. But there are a couple things that are, there are basically um, some things that you have to unlock on some tracks that will let you get benefits of other tracks. Um, so for example, in the manufacturing area, you're going to get to these hexagons there. And the only way you can unlock them is you have to have two things. You have to have a certain icon that you've unlocked on a different track, either on like one of the test tracks or an engineering track, but you also have to have TPS reports. Does that name sound familiar to you guys? That's that's ridiculous. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So TPS reports, of course, are the famous reports from office space, uh, the the classic night, late, late nineties, uh, office comedy, if you have never seen it, you got to go check it out. It's a little dated at this point because nobody sits in cubicles with a you know shirt and tie on anymore. Thank God. But it wasn't that long ago. Um, I've been in those cubicles before uh, where this was would have really hit home for you. Anyway, so these TPS reports you collect, this is where things get really interesting. Because if you want to go and unlock one of these hexes, you not only have to have unlocked the previous icon you needed, 
but you also have to spend the TPS reports when you unlock them. So you're basically in this position where like, you don't want to get a TPS report before you can use it in one of the spaces that you've already achieved or unlocked. And sometimes the TPS reports are bonuses you're going to get on a track. Sometimes they're the bonuses you're going to get for taking one of the dice actions. And this was such an interesting uh, kind of positional puzzle of trying to make sure that you set yourself up to take advantage of them, but not go too far up a track to where you couldn't use it before you got to it because you're wasting it. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen. You can unlock additional test tracks. You can spend the money that you're getting from your car dealership to get bonus actions, to get extra test cars. Uh, this game was so much more fun than I expected it to be after reading the rules. And I think is going to be a very different gameplay every time you play it. Um, there's a lot of kind of like unique scoring goals that you're going to be able to unlock in the game. So you have to, you can, you're going to give in direction, but then you have to tactically work with the dice that are available to you. And the last thing I'll say about it is that, well, it, it won't be the last thing because Adam's clearly got a lot of questions. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I do. The last, the last thing I wanted to just comment on it is that I think this game is going to lead to a decent amount of player interaction because there are definitely opportunities where you can mess up where somebody's trying to get to a certain thing in that turn and you can take the dice, you can draft the dice that they need that turn if you're paying attention and if you don't mind giving up what you want to do. Tim, it sounds fun. So what I'm hearing is you had fun doing TPS reports. Is that right? <laughs> okay, interesting. And second, did you, um, which t Kickstarter tier did you do? Did you do the one that actually comes with a Camaro Super Sports Fastback? Because that looks awesome. I don't know what that is. Do uh, uh, you mean the, the, the meeple, the car meeple? I mean the actual car that's on the cover of the game. Oh, sorry. No, I missed that. Oh, you no, totally okay. missed that. You didn't do that tier? No, too bad. Uh, no, but there, there is actually, there, there's some like, you know, the, the Kickstarter came with some expansion <laughs> content and, you know, like some extra modules and things like that. I haven't played any of that stuff yet. I've only gotten one two-player game of this in. I really had a fun time with this, Adam, and I think we'll be playing this in Sedona. I know Chris backed it as well and wants to give it a shot. But I, I will say that I, I was excited for the game. I wanted to try it, but it did beat my expectations. I think it was a more interesting game. And I think in a lot of ways felt more like a the the variability and the variety that a board game can give you that usually a roll and write sheet can't because of the static nature of a roll and write sheet but somehow i think because of the the timing that that those tps reports provide i know that doesn't sound fun but it really it, it did add a, an interesting challenge <laughs> which by the way my wife really got really frustrated she was so frustrated because every time she'd pick one up she's like i can't use this yet but wait at the end of this turn i could use it nope doesn't work that way you gotta you gotta set yourself up for a few it, it was fun uh you know interesting challenges to kind of work around and i think is gonna gonna change very differently every time you play have you played this one dean yeah i have i've played all three of them actually and there's some okay. of my favorites i wow i love hearing your thoughts on this tim the, the fact that you haven't played the other ones because i really think you need to play those other ones and i think you might like them at least as much and i will say so this is just off of my, yeah, just me kind of flying off the handle. My 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 thought is Fleet the Dice is probably my favorite of these, followed by Motor City and then Three Sisters, but they're all really close. I think you really need to try Three Sisters because it is it is like Motor City. I would say probably the closest uh, to to Motor City than than Fleet the Dice, but amped up to like a hundred because it is so there's so much going on and you think about the things that trigger in motor city three sisters it actually has this area on the board that you can write notes in 
because you have to, to be able to keep up with what's going on and what's triggering what. And normally I don't like that in games. Teotihuacan is a game that I don't love because of the triggering like that. But Three Sisters, I don't know what it is, but I just get jazzed playing this game because you feel so good. You feel like I'm accomplishing so much because I took this one action that triggered this thing that triggered this thing. And now I'm like going crazy setting off things on my board. But I I really love this series. And there's a new one, French Quarter, that's going to be coming out at some point too. Three Sisters, the one that's the pumpkin, corn, and beans. Is that right? The kind of the the agricultural game of these synergistic um, vegetables that's that right. all grow together. That's a really cool theme. I think you were just about to say that, Tim, until I trampled on you. No, I was actually going to talk about the French Quarter theme, which because I just cool. you know I love the the city of New Orleans, so I'm excited to check that one out. The early pictures of it I've seen look really cool as well. But that's cool, Dean, to hear that you find the same kind of dynamic interaction in Three Sisters. Which again, when I when I looked at the sheets on that, it was like it just looked like rows of checkboxes, and I never watched the gameplay, so I'm sure I'm missing something important there. But it didn't it didn't look as fun to me. So that's cool to hear that you find you know, similar. There's an area of the board that's, it's called the shed and it has all of these extra different, um, possibilities that it unlocks. Some of it's in game scoring. Some of it is whenever this thing happens, then you also get this thing. And the, the variability really shines with that area of the board because you can't do everything. And in fact, you might only do two or three of those things from the shed out of I don't know 20 options or something and so every game you play you're going to be exploring those different options and I I just I I find it fascinating even though it it might be my least favorite but I still really enjoy it I think these are all really fun games well definitely we'll be checking those out more um, after experiencing Motor City which I, I thought was a really fun game that will wrap up this episode of Board Game Hot Takes. So I just want to give a shout out to a listener this is Haley Aldrich and uh you know after the last few episodes um you know, we've had a, a few reviews on our show recently where some some people left reviews and said nice things about some of our some of our hosts. And so we've been kind of scoring it lately. We've it's it's almost a con- like everything we do. It's a game. It's a contest, right? And uh, Tim and and myself and Chris have been getting some shout. I think that's the first per- time I ever spoke about myself in third person. <laughs> Chris and myself have gotten a couple shout outs on reviews, and so we've been I, on the last episode. I said Adams Adams in last place here. So Haley Aldridge, it's familiar though, (laughs) nothing new there. So Haley Aldridge (laughs) reached out and said, Hey, this is what she said. We've already left a review. So I can't add our vote for favorite BGH team member. We, me and my two sons are team Adam. So I wanted to ensure he gets his votes. Yes. We love Tim and Chris too, but are always sad when Adam isn't on the show. So I think Adam just got three votes with that comment and uh, is now in the lead. Chris and I have some catching up to do. So Thanks, Haley, for reaching out. I hate to, um, you know, I hate, I hate to give Adam a big head like that, but I, you know, it's important to share that, that this type of stuff. Haley, thank you so much, and also to your two sons, I really appreciate that, and to everybody listening to us, it's still shocking and amazing that anybody cares about anything that even any of us say, especially me. So thank you for, uh, thank you so much for that very nice review and dean thank you for joining the show tonight we had a blast playing a game with you and and having you on it's been fun to get to know you tonight um tell listeners a little bit about where they can find the show and uh what what else they they should expect other than what you already mentioned yeah so just what you said earlier you know the the all the different channels of finding podcasts you can find us on there you can go to our website, mepletowngames.com and, and or just Google us, whatever. But I'm just I'm just glad to be here, not even to to promote our show, but just to be 
here with you guys. I, not to just say this, I'm not blowing smoke, but I've listened to you guys since the beginning, and uh, I'm a fan of the show. So it, it's uh, I appreciate you you letting me join you. Thanks, Dean. Ha- happy to have you back, and uh, hope to hope to get a chance to play with you some more sometime in the near future. Yeah, Dean. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure meeting you there and and talking with you. And sorry for all my bad jokes. <laughs> the, the, there have been worse. It, it could have been worse, Dean. Believe me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.